Brett, sometimes I dream of becoming an actor. Have you ever dreamt of becoming an actor? Maureen, what is it you think I'd do for a living? Never mind, sounds like you need the New York Film Academy. NIFA offers workshops, BFA and MFA degrees and summer camps in filmmaking, acting, journalism and more, online and on campuses across the globe. To make films alongside industry professionals, explore more at nyfa.edu. Thanks, Brett. Thank you, Maureen. AirPods Pro with adaptive audio. Automatically keeps out the sounds you don't want to hear so you can listen to your music. And lowers your music to let in the sounds you do need to hear. Hi there. Hi, what can I get you? I'll have a strawberry mango coconut probiotic smoothie with wheatgrass. Anything else? Extra wheatgrass. Here you go. AirPods Pro with adaptive audio. Available on AirPods Pro second generation when enabled. Look out, it's only films to be buried with. Hello and welcome to Films to be Buried with. My name is Brett Goldstein. I'm a comedian, an actor, a writer, a director, a keyboard, and I love films. As Joe Biden once said... In my neighbourhood, when you got something to say to a guy, you look him in the eye and you say it to him. Just the other day, I went straight up to a guy in my neighbourhood and I said, if you disrespect Greece too again, I promise you'll regret it. Oh, God bless you, Joe Biden. Glad to see that you will stand up for the important issues. Every week, I invite a special guest over. I tell them they've died. Then I get them to discuss their life through the films that meant the most to them. Previous guests include Sharon Stone, Kevin Smith, Ricky Gervais and even Ned Brambles. But this week... It's the incredible Mr. Pat Oswalt. Head over to the Patreon at patreon.com forward slash Brett Goldstein, where you'll get 25 minutes extra chat and questions and a secret with Patton. The secret is amazing. I mean, this week's Patreon, I'm sorry, but it is very special. You also get the whole ep uncut, you get it ad free and you get it as a video. Head over to patreon.com forward slash Brett Goldstein. I mean, we also talk secrets about the making of Magnolia. You don't want to miss that. And if you've not yet seen it, you can now watch the whole of season one of Ted Lasso on the Apple TV Plus app. Watch it. You'll laugh. You'll cry. You'll feel happy inside. It's a good time. So, Patton Oswalt. Oh, what? Can you believe it? An incredible actor, writer, stand-up who happens to appear in at least three of my favourite films, Patton was an absolute dream guest. He was lovely. We recorded this a couple of weeks ago over Zoom. God, it's a good one. Such a joy to spend time with him. I think you're going to love it. So that is it for now. I very much hope you enjoy episode 121 of Films to be Buried with. and welcome to Films to be Buried With. It is I, Brett Goldstein, and I am joined today by an actor, a writer, a stand-up, a sketch man, a comic book artist, an award winner, a documentarian, a (laughs) multi-award winner, a father, a husband, a lover, a superstar, a saint, and a genius, and a hero. Please welcome to the show... The Incredible Pat Oswald! Oh my God! Think, hang on, I'm just updating my IMDb. That was fantastic. <laughs> I got to wait a minute. Putting all that in there. Thank you. Thanks, Brett. Hey, 
Thanks so much for doing this. How are you? Oh, yeah, I am great this morning. How are you doing? I'm all well, right. It's evening. It's evening or afternoon where you are, right? It's evening now. It's evening. Oh, that's so nice. You got up early yeah. to do this. I did. Appreciate you. Oh, my, my pleasure. I have to ask, how's your pandemic treating you? Uh, my pandemic, my pandemic is treating um, all of us in America pretty bad because we don't have someone modeling good behavior. I, I would imagine uh, we're a, there's a lot of Americans looking to New Zealand right now. Yeah. Uh, they're out there. They're going to concerts and uh, having dinner together and going to movies. And we are still uh, indoors um, trying our best to catch up on shows on Amazon and um, <laughs> Netflix. But there's not a lot. I mean, look, the, the, the pandemic is treating us as badly as um, the behavior that's being modeled, which is really chaotic. And really nuts. So, mm. yeah. Is it true you did a, an hour of stand-up online? Is that how that works? Two nights ago, I, I went on, did a, a live streaming thing on um, this, pla- this place called On Location Live. Mm-hmm. And it was me doing a new hour of material into this little camera on my laptop. And like every other comedian that I've seen do it, I was not going to do it. I was yeah. offered it a few months ago. And I said, I just, that's not, but then friends of mine, like Maria Bamford and Mike Birbiglia and Brian Hussein were doing it. And I said, okay, well maybe I need to, I don't want to be like, I didn't want to be the vaudevillian that refused to be on TV. Like if this is where yeah. the technology is going, maybe I should become comfortable with it mm-hmm. on one level or another. So I did it. And, and, just like I predicted, the first 10 minutes, I'm speaking really fast and constantly referencing that there's no one there. And you can see, you could, you could hear my mouth getting dry and kind of smacky because I'm so yeah. nervous. And then I just kind of rolled with it and, and it became looser. And there were things, I, there were moments like right now, like I was talking, but I didn't even need to look at the camera. It felt like sitting with someone in a restaurant and going, who was the guy that like it, it had that feeling? Well, you just sat down, did it? Did you this is where, yeah, we, we looked around the house and, and my wife, Meredith, thank God, arranged like an actual background for me because if she hadn't been there, it just would have been some weird, blurry, creepy, like I wouldn't have bothered with the the aesthetic or set design. So thank God um, I had a, an equivalent of a Bo Welch. Uh, if you know about production design, who came in and let's make this look good. So thank goodness. Wow. I've done a few online gigs and in England, there's one gig that has nailed it, which is there's a gig called Always Be Comedy, which whoever in London you must do. But what they've done is they've made a Zoom where, so if there's like 200 people on it, 50 of them are mic'd up and their mics are up and they're in boxes so you can hear, you actually have feedback. <laughs> And it makes such a difference. I've seen that on a couple of these gigs, and and um, I know they're they're working on, on that technology. I would love that. The next time I do it, I want to do that mic thing. But I know that some of the platforms, if they mic the people, then it mutes you out. But I guess they figured it out. They yeah, cracked they that code. Out, yeah. So, oh, that's got to be so. So you've done some of these shows where you get like a where you get people because I did one where you where you're just doing it into the void, and oh man, I oh. Yikes. It's horrible because you are just the whole time going. Is it? Yeah. Is anyone, so is it, is anyone there? Am I, have I lost my mind? It's a horror. You, you feel like, am I the, am I the insane survivor in the post apocalyptic film? Who's the film? I was like, I don't know if anyone's receiving this transmission, uh, but here's how it happened. I'm the only like, like you. That's how you have that feeling. And also, we're not built for it. Like, like what you've been trained for 
is to like <laughs> react to laughter and pauses. What you're also trained for is if you hear silence, it's going badly. <laughs> yes. So when you're doing these, you're like, it's going badly. No. Your instincts are. And also you, you're, you're trained to, if you do say something that really lands, then you want that moment to let, to coast on the laughter. So the audience builds some confidence in you. So if you're, if you're talking and there were like, there were 3,500 people on the feed. That's how many tickets sold. But so for all I know, for there were a couple of jokes that really landed yeah. and I just kept talking through the laughter and they're just like, the fuck is wrong with this guy? Like, why isn't he? Give me a second here. I'm like, so it, you, you, it's, it, you're right. It's, it's bad both ways. You, you need to acknowledge the silence. You also need to acknowledge if there's any success. And I wasn't yeah. doing either one, which is you look like an insane person, you know? Well, listen, uh, I've been I've been catching up on your stuff. I watched I Love Everything this morning. Oh, loved thanks, it, thanks, man! Absolutely loved <laughs> it. I was a huge fan of Annihilation. Thought it was amazing. Thank you, um, thank you. Of all the things you've done, and you've done many wonderful things, but the one that I talk about the most, and I'm slightly obsessed with, is the film Young Adult, which oh. I think is not seen enough. And when I did. The greatest movies of the last decade special, mm-hmm. Young Adult was on that list. Because I'm wow. like, it's a fucking... And I watched it again the other day. Oh, <laughs> it is bold. That is a bleak... It, it, it has that early 70s mm. bleak boldness of when they're... Because the early 70s were, was that golden era of movies where they were ballsy enough to have protagonists that they would defiantly not change. Yeah. And the thrill was getting to the end of their story and going, oh, they're just digging in even deeper. Oh, and that actually happens. Mm-hmm. Like that happens to people. That's a real thing. And I, you're so not used to seeing that on screen that that's really startling to yeah. that moment at the end when, again, my favorite scene in the movie is between her and the actress who plays my sister, Colette Wolf, where Maybe you're thinking, and they do that great tease where when she's coming out of the bedroom from spending the night with me and you're thinking, hey, maybe she's softened a bit. And then she runs into my sister and my sister puts her right back on the track that she like, yeah. oh, you're just like, no, don't talk to that woman. It's so, yeah. it, it, it's amazing. It's so amazing, that scene. And you're you know? phenomenal in it. And the, the final scene with you you and her makes me cry. I think it's beautiful. It's it's such a good film. And, and, and also, it, I hadn't seen a film when I saw it at the, at the cinema where the hit, you know, the lead who you are connected to and you do care about her to, to have her mission be the moment where she kisses Patrick Wilson. Literally half the audience went, and half the audience <laughs> sort of went, yay! Like it was, everyone was so confused by Exactly. You don't have any solid footing. Mm. Again, like in real life, there are moments where she does things. You're like, well, that's pretty cool. And then other moments you're like, what a fucking horrible, what is she doing? And so you're right. You don't know how to feel in that moment. Also, the fact that someone pointed this out to me and they never talk about it. She's playing an alcoholic. And if you notice in the nighttime scenes in the bar, She's so put together. She's just mm. gorgeous and quick-witted. But then those moments when she's walking around in the sunshine and she looks so withered yeah. and reduced. And the fact that she let herself look like that, like usually actresses are like, in the sunlight, I need to sparkle. Yeah. And she looks like she wants to crawl into a sewer when she's walking around in the daylight. Like just such an amazing performance. 
that she went that far with yeah, it. Yeah, she's incredible in it. And the 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 storytelling in it, the, it's all the stuff that's not in it. Like it, we don't hear about her marriage. We don't, and and the fact that she has this dog that she, you know, there's this element of her that wants to love something, and you, there's all this <sighs> stuff, and it's so fuck. It's a good film. What a film. Well, th- but the fact that that's what's so great is. Again, like those really great movies, the fact that she never even thinks to bring up her marriage or ever reference it tells you everything you need to know about that marriage. Yeah. It was a catastrophe and she just, there's no connection to it. Yeah. That tells you all you need to know. So, oh yeah, okay, I get it now. I know exactly what's happening. Brilliant. Yeah. You're genuinely brilliant in it and I love it. That's Thank it. you. That's all, that's Thanks, all I wanted man. to say. Good night. Thanks. Um, oh, <laughs> all right. Thanks for having me cheers. on. <laughs> oh, but I have I have forgotten to tell you something. No, dude, I gotta go. I, I got four other podcasts. No, wait, wait, wait. I, uh, this is quite important, actually, and I should have told you this. All right, before I told you about the other stuff. But uh, oh, yee. No, I'm before doing you... films to be. Cr- I'm I'm doing films to be cremated with in five minutes, and then I'm doing films to be buried at sea with. Right, 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 right. And then I'm- <laughs> well, just before you go, before you, just before you go, I've got to tell you, it's really important. That it's, uh, is, oh, I'm just gonna have to say it. Ah, <laughs> uh, fuck! You, uh, you've died. You died. Oh no! Did you, how did you die? Sorry, how did you? Die? Well, oh god, this is so embarrassing. You know what? I'm just going to tell you. I'm just going to tell you. Yeah. Let's just be open with each other, please. I'm going to be very open with you. I did. Oh, God. This is so typical, too. Like, everyone's going to go, well, yeah, duh. Of course, is how he died. I did the tasting menu at the French Laundry up in Yountville. And when I sat down, the chef said, you can have the nine course or the 17 course. And I went, oh, I want the, give me the 17 course. Mm -hmm. What I didn't know is at the French Laundry, every course is, it's, Course one is A and B. So you taste one thing and then second thing. There's actually 34 courses. So by the time we got to there, and there's a salt course, there's a butter course. Mm. Literally, they bring out a thing of butter that you just eat, taste the butter. So by the time we got to the pork course, I was feeling like, oh, I think like there's not that, not as much air is going through my esophagus as normally. I'm feeling a little, I think like food is getting blocked up. And I, and I should have just said, you know what? Let me box the desserts. But I had to show off. Mm. I had to show off to everyone else at the table. I'm going to power all the way through. And by the time we got to, there was like a, a molten um, mocha um, crystalline egg. And that is the one. A shard from the egg went down my throat, lodged sideways, and it, it prevented me. And look, I basically, I choked out on a, on a whimsical um, molten uh, okay. mocha crystalline egg in front of uh, Brad Bird and oh. Paul Thomas Anderson oh. and um, Christopher Nolan at a director's fortnight. And um, it was, I know. And, 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 it and was, none of them. It was 34. It was, it was, it, it was, was 30. Exactly. If I had just stopped yeah. at 30. Oh God, you had to bring that up. No, See, I'm that's sorry. what kills I, me. Yeah. I, I could have walked away. And you. the other thing that killed me is, it was weird because it was sort of pleasurable because the oxygen kind of left my brain and I had this wonderful meal in front of me. Mm-hmm. But the thing was, I looked at all of the directors and all I could see was any one of them could have jumped up and given me the Heimlich. But I could see Brad going, oh, I could use this so brilliantly in like an animated movie. And then Nolan was like, oh, this could be a really cool mm-hmm. um, beginning to one of these weird reversal 
you know, like time loop kind of movies. Yeah. And then Paul Thomas Anderson will be like, oh, this will be one of like 11 deaths in the giant patchwork film that I'm going to make about, um, Eggs. about, uh, <laughs> yeah, exactly. About, um, Tarzana, California that I'll do in like five years. And, um, yeah, we'll get like, we'll get Josh, like Josh Gad, uh, we'll, we'll play this and he'll just, he'll die on a crystalline egg. This is perfect. I could just see them making notes for their movies. It was a little, that was a little painful. That was a little hurtful. So as you were talking to death, that, they're just making notes. Yeah. That's directors for you, isn't it? I'm not going to say, I'm not going to name it. One of them clearly had the notes function on his iPhone open, but under the tables, I couldn't see it. And he was, so I'm not going to say which one, mm. but that was so clearly happening. Well, it wasn't Nolan because he doesn't like having mobile phones. Exactly. So that narrows it down. All right. Okay. Good guess, but I'm not going to, I'm not going to say which one, but I will say, it was um, bad. It was, a- <laughs> it was bad. Come on. It was a pleasurable death, but it was a frustrating death. And I'll oh. leave it at that. Wow. Yeah. Damn it- you, Thomas Keller. <laughs> <laughs> wow. What a, what a, what a shocking, what an absolutely shocking way to go. Do you worry about death? Do you think, is it something that keeps you up at night, your own death? <sighs> no, you know, no. I, I mean, obviously I've experienced death very, very close yes. and firsthand. But as far as my death is concerned, I'm more concerned. This is going to sound a little too philosophical. Like I've done a lot of the things that I wanted to do. There's other things that I do want to do, but I don't feel like it's essential to the world if I do them or not. Like I did the things mm-hmm. that were essential to me. Now I can do the things that that are like more of my caprices and, and more fun. I'm such a fan of other people that I know, other comedians, other writers, other filmmakers. The ones I worry about are there are some young up and coming people that this is going to sound really weird, and and I hope she doesn't get pissed at me for saying this. I worry about like a Phoebe Waller Bridge dying because she clearly has decades mm. of amazing work in her, and I don't want her to like. I want her in a protective bubble, and I want to see whatever it is she has coming. And, like when I I remember watching Fleabag, I was like, this is much, this is what it must have been like to see like. Martin Scorsese's Who's That Knocking at My Door and going, yeah. oh, no one, please, this guy, make sure this guy stays alive for a long time. I, I want to see what this guy's going to do. You know, So yeah. it's that kind of feeling. And that's such a weird thing, but I do worry about certain musicians and filmmakers and writers like, I no, no, let, let them keep going. Go protect them. That's, that, that to me, that's what matters to me. I think, you know what, I think yeah. the reason that I, I dwell on that is because I was really... I was pretty good friends with Mitch Hedberg um, oh, wow. back in the day, back in San Francisco. And then and we moved to L.A. around the same time. And and then he's one of those guys that and everyone has someone like this. But it's like he was such an absolutely brilliant writer. And there was decades of work that we didn't get to yeah. see out of him and that he didn't get to create. And that and that that has always bothered me, you know, and we weren't like deep, close personal friends, but we'd see each other all the time and we would talk and I was just always, I was just always excited to see him. It was always like, oh, this is a thing that I'm always going to get to look forward to. He's always going to have some amazing new joke. And then for him to just be gone like that was like, well, that's, and that sounds very selfish, but it's like, why does he not get to keep putting things into the world? Yeah. It sounds sounds sort of the opposite of selfish. Uh, yeah, I, I don't know. Do you, do you think, do you, do you believe in an afterlife? How do you see it? If I may ask. God, the thing that haunts me about the afterlife, no pun intended, yeah. is a line from Neil Gaiman's 
uh, Sandman comic book. I don't know, did you ever read the Sandman? Yeah, yeah. I just started it, actually. Look, God, there's a line where um, Dream's older sister, Death, someone asks, like, where do people go when they die? And then she says, people go where they think they ought to go, which means that the, at the last moment, does that mean, like, if your subconscious truly is eating you alive with guilt, it will set, like, yeah. it will create a place for you to go. That is, you know what I mean? Um, so that's always really, because because there's there's very positive and very negative connotations to that idea. Mm-hmm. Personally, I would love if the afterlife was exactly as Albert Brooks describes it in Defending Your Life. That is such a wonderful system. The only thing that I find unrealistic about that movie is if I was in Judgment City and you could eat food and it doesn't affect you, I would just have a backpack full of like <laughs> fried rice or but like it would just I would just never not be eating. That's all I'd be doing. The fact that he like can take bites of things and then wander away. I'm like, How, what what are you doing? You know, that's so but yeah, that that idea of you yeah. move forward if you conquer your fear, there's something really beautiful about that. I've never heard that, and that's gonna that's gonna scare me forever. Well, what what is your conception? Do you have a conception of the afterlife? Because I love hearing that from other people. I mean, it keep it keeps it keeps changing. I do think we keep going round. Oh, I do think that. I think that we keep going round until we get better. But I think that there's a bit in between. In between you coming back. Well, this is the, the only bit I don't get. I've talked about this before, but the. Yeah, I believe this is the Buddhist, the Buddhist way of reincarnation, and uh, the only bit that annoys me about it <laughs> is that you forget. <laughs> is that you, you when you start again, you forget everything you learned in the last life, which seems right an inefficient way of getting better at it. But you do, you do meet people oh, yeah. who are, oh, you know, people say like, oh, he's an old soul or she's an old, you know, and and it feels correct to me. You meet people who feel like they're new. And people who feel like they've been here a while. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. What if what if we find out later that like there are certain forms of schizophrenia that are just a form of reincarnation that's fritzed out a little bit, that you're hearing your other lives, but it's all at once and it's not coming in in an orderly fashion. And that's why that that's why people that are quote unquote insane can often have these really amazing insights into things beyond what we can do. It's because there are too many channels that are open to other lives, and that's what they're that's what they're funneling into themselves. Yes. That'd yeah, be that. interesting. But that's I never thought of it that way. That yeah, that does it is an inefficient system. <laughs> if what your aim is is to improve us, maybe. But then maybe the way the people that are getting close to reaching that are the old souls. That yeah. and I know exactly what you're talking about. There's people that I've met. I had a friend put it this way: You ever just meet certain people, and you're like, this person just gets the deal. Yeah. And and people are just drawn to them. And it has nothing to do with them, whether they're a celebrity or not. Like you can go to like a, a bar and look at the staff and there's like one member on the staff that everyone, they're just the natural, they're just, they're just, people are drawn to them, yeah. you know? And I just read this um, oral history of the making of Dazed and Confused. Oh, really? It, it's called All Right, All Right, All Right. It is fascinating. They go through the making of it. And Matthew McConaughey, I think, is one of those old souls where yeah. he was just a guy that they hired for the day, and then they became very clear, oh, wait a minute, write him more. He was just so connected to all this other stuff, and they saw it on film. They're like, well, this is obviously 
Yeah. You just, you know, there's just certain people. That's how it is. I'm thinking about it now that we're talking about it, because I haven't thought about it in a while. You know, I think you're born with certain um, characteristics and morality and certain things. And everyone, everyone is born with like a box and the, everyone's box is different, right? Yeah. And maybe mm-hmm. that what's in your box is from your previous lives. What the things you've accrued. Yeah. But the point is you don't know ahead of time specifically what each item is and what it's linked to. And that part of your life is figuring out how those items fit together. It's like the, um, there's a Philip K. Dick short story called Paycheck where mm-hmm. a guy who he's like an agent that is sent into the future to do things. And then when they come back, they wipe your memory. He's like, he's like a corporate oh, yeah, um, yeah. assassin type, but he leaves himself this envelope full of weird items that don't mean anything to himself in the present, but they save his life as he's going along. And that's like a version of that, of that's getting it. that box, having it. Isn't that weird? I like that a lot. Yeah. 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 Should- but that's a great, that's mm-hmm. such a cool, the idea of an old soul. I never thought of it that way. And you meet kids, you meet, you meet, there is a vast difference between kids. Some are really dumb and some are amazing. That's one thing that Meredith says, and she goes, I feel terrible saying it, but there's certain kids you meet and they're like, they're just shitty kids. Yeah. Like this is just a shitty person. This, I, this is a tiny shitty person who's going to grow up to be an older shitty person. And there's nothing yeah. you can, you don't want to be mean to them, but it's early. like, it's just so fucking clear. They're just yeah. terrible, you know? They're on the early, they're, they're, they're newcomers. <laughs> yeah. Yes. You're right. There was a very famous, um, they're rookies. Uh, Rookie oh my God, they're, what if shitty people are just rookies? They're just rookies. And you kids. should be trying to help. You're like, oh, he's just a rookie. He yeah, doesn't know any down. better. He's trying. He's trying. There was an interview. Carl Reiner was on The Tonight Show in the early 60s. And mm-hmm. they, Johnny Carson was like, who's, your, who's the funniest person you know? And he's like, this kid who lives down the street from me, because um, Carl Reiner lived next to this guy, um, that, that old vaudeville performer, Park Your Carcass. Someone, I, but he was talking about, he was like, this kid's, his name is Albert Einstein. That, that, his dad gave him the name Albert Einstein. This kid's like 13. He's the funniest kid I've ever met in my life. It was Albert Brooks. Oh, yeah. That's what he was talking about. And he was like, I would go over to my, to my friend. His, his father was this very famous vaudevillian mm-hmm. and Carl Reiner knew him and Carl would go visit the guy's dad. And then it would just, and also his son Rob was friends with Albert Brooks, but he was like, this kid is the funniest person I've ever met. And he's just the, 13 year old like we've all met people like that yeah yeah i mean i want to talk about this all day but but mm-hmm. listen i've got a spoiler mm-hmm. for you which is there is there is a heaven and uh and actually not everyone who comes on this podcast would agree but i think you'd fucking love this one because mm-hmm. a you've got a backpack filled with infinite food that doesn't affect you and b <laughs> everyone's obsessed with films there they're obsessed with it oh and and not in an annoying way. <laughs> yes. And oh, and all they want to do, and other things if you like, but mostly what I want to do is talk to you about your life, but through film. And oh, then, let's do it. And the first thing they ask you Hell yeah. is what is the first film that you remember seeing? Oh, uh, the first film, I, and I remember this so clearly. And before I tell this story, I'm not slagging the parents involved in the story. They had every... Good intention when they did what they did. This was in the <laughs> early like, Just hang on. Okay. Because this was like in 1973 or four. Us, you know, like, you know, four years old, five years old, living in Southern California. My dad was in the military. So this is very briefly we lived there before we moved to Virginia. But 
It was Halloween. And they had a children's Halloween activity day at the local library. Won't this be fun? And we did cut out pumpkins and we made ghost cookies and they told ghost stories. And then they showed us a movie and it being the early seventies and there's no internet or no parental resources. They thought, Oh, let's show them an old silent horror movie. This will be because silent movies, that's for everybody. How scary can this be? No one. And they showed us, they projected it on a wall on a 16 millimeter projector. Cause back then, by the way, you could rent, Eight millimeter and sixteen millimeter films. That's how people would watch them. They showed us F. W. Murnau's Nosferatu to a bunch of five and six year olds. And by the way, I and like earlier this year, I watched Nosferatu. I have a there's a film service called Canopy. I'm like I'm going to watch this again just to make sure. Like maybe I'm only seeing it through my five year old brain. That is one of the most terrifying, just openly disturbing film. It's all it is is disturbing images. And the narrative kind of doesn't make sense. There's kind of a dream logic to it. It just kind of jumps around. So it has that five-year-old's logic way of looking at the world where just all it is is scary stuff coming in. Kids were screaming and crying. And I was freaking out. But I was very, very fascinated by how come this little square of light Mm -hmm. is making everyone – we were just in this room that was well lit. We know we're in safe in the world. They put a couple of towels over the windows and suddenly – we're in hell. Yeah. Like, it just completely – I'm like, how did that happen? And that is why I've been fascinated with film ever since because it, it happened like that. And that movie – go watch Nosferatu. It's fucking scary. It's fucking – by today's standards, that movie is fucked up. Ugh. It is, it's really it's just yes. a series of openly disturbing images. It's like, what the fuck? And then the, the woman has, like, dies at the end. Like, she mm-hmm. openly sacrifices herself. Like, it's so fucked up. <gasps> so were you with your parents watching this? I think it was a drop off. Like the seventies were all about, I oh, just leave your kids there and we'll cut. I mean, I remember very clearly you were a shitty parent. If your kid was inside your home watching TV and being supervised, the good parents oh, were like, really? go outside, play, run around, get exercise, come back when it gets dark. I don't care where you go, go outside. And that was it. That was like, just, that's what you did. You know, like so that, yeah, I'm, I'm sure they dropped me off and then picked you up and you, <laughs> you were shaking. And they, what happened? In there? Oh, how were the pumpkin cookies? There was a, there's a guy, he came out of the darkness and he's just like sucking people's souls. It was just like so terrifying. Yeah. Do you want to go back tomorrow? Got that. <laughs> Amazing. We're going to show, they're going to show hacks and witchcraft through the ages. <laughs> <laughs> and you have, a, you have a brother, right? I have a little brother. Yeah, my brother, Matt. How, how much younger is he? He's a year and a half younger than me. So was he there? Were you together? I cannot remember. He doesn't, he doesn't remember seeing that okay. movie. He doesn't, he doesn't have that memory. Maybe he was there and just, I don't know. But he does, you're, that's a good question. But he's never, he, he doesn't remember that. I very specifically remember seeing that. He's, oh. he's just shut down that trauma and lives in denial. I get it. Yeah, may, maybe his brain was like, no, nah, we're not going to deal with this yet. You're too young. <laughs> <laughs> uh, what film, Pat Oswalt, uh, made you cry the most? Are you a crier? Yes. Here's what's weird, though. I don't cry in movies when things are sad. Mm-hmm. I mean, I still do cry when things are really sad. Like, I remember very specifically the baby mind sequence from Dumbo always – Wipes me. I mean, my God in heaven. 
But the part, the moment in movies that, and, and in art that makes me cry is when someone decides to be good to someone else in spite of the world going, it'd be so much easier if you just were shitty. And they're like, no, God damn it. I'm going to step. So there's a moment in like in the bad news bears when Walter Matthau and he, he acts rough doing it because he needs to, when he decides I'm going to actually coach this team. And it's like, God damn it. No one's vote counts, but mine. We're going to like, and he's going to actually, cause these kids have been humiliated and he does that little speech about this quitting thing. You know, it's a hard habit. Once you start and you realize he's talking about his own life and he's like, you know, just because I found a way to be comfortable with pissing my life away, I don't have to dump this on these kids. And that that scene, there's something so beautiful about that. Whenever someone steps up for someone else, yeah. the most recent time that happened was in Jojo Rabbit at the end when um, Sam, why can't I I'm blanking on his last name, the, the Nazi, the, the closet right, gay Sam Nazi. Rocker. Sam Rockwell, when he sacrifices himself to save Jojo, and when they're dragging him away and he's smiling like uh, uh, he's safe. Uh, I mean, I was crying so hard in the theater. I, I mean, I saw the premiere. I went to the premiere, oh, wow. and I was just bawling in that moment when people step the hell up and go, no, I'm going to – I'm such a sucker for that. Yeah. That's what makes me cry the most. I fucking love Jojo Rabbit. And oh, I, I've seen – I saw that four times. It's so good. It's so good. And it's one of them films. There was another film last year, Vice. Both Jojo Rabbit and Vice were divisive in a way that I was like, what? <laughs> this, <laughs> this is like objectively a, an incredible film. What? I remember very specifically the Jojo Rabbit arguments where people were arguing about just like aesthetics mm. or they were arguing about things out of context. And it's like, yeah. this is another, this is a story. Of, I mean, if you read The Rise and Fall of the Third Reich, he was not diminishing Nazism to link it with Beatlemania because that is how it was. They literally yeah. designed Hitler's speeches the way a rock promoter would promote a, a up and coming band. You book a, a venue that's too small so that afterwards you can go, oh, we couldn't fit anyone in there. There were a lot like, and they would sell pamphlets outside. It was literally the same mechanics as a rock concert. Yeah which makes it that much more frightening. That's why he did it the way he did it. Yeah. You know, so, I, yeah, there are movies that come out that are device, and I'm like, what in the fuck are you people arguing about? It's yeah. so good. You dope. So, yeah, I cry in movies like, I, you, know what the, you know what the weirdest movie I've ever cried in was for that reason? Sure. So is um, Akira Kurosawa's Yojimbo when Sanjuro, the, the, you know, the bodyguard, Toshiro Mifune, <laughs> gets all angry about the when he realizes that he's that family they've kidnapped the wife and he's actually helped he's part of it, it's an earlier version of Sam Jackson realizing oh I'm the tyranny of evil men I'm the actual I've got to step up and do something good and he's like people like this oh god they make me sick and then he just picks up his sword and goes to slaughter everyone to rescue this family and it's like oh god he's doing something good. like I just love moments like that it's gonna be good. I like <laughs> no, sorry. I Next question. I'm sorry about that. No, I really like that. What? Um, mm -hmm. What's the other than uh, Nosferatu? What's the film that scared you the most? Oh, okay. This is another quick story about go for it. Um, well-meaning 1970s parents who did not know what they were doing. They were not trying to fuck us up. I remember this very good specifically. People. Me and me and my friend. Bruce Beardsley wanted to go see Ralph Bakshi's 
Lord of the Rings, the animated Lord of the Rings. Mm -hmm. Oh, we want to go see it because we love Dungeons and Dragons. Bruce's dad took us. Great guy. Great dad. We go to the theater. Lord of the Rings is sold out. There's no tickets. And what else is playing? This is, it's 1978 or 79. Oh, Invasion of the Body Snatchers. They remade it. His dad was like, I saw Invasion of the Body Snatchers running up. That's a fun, yeah, fine, we'll go see Invasion of the Body Snatchers. That movie, I had so many nightmares. I mean, for weeks, my mom was, was, I remember my mom even called Bruce's dad and was like, why did you, t-? he's like, I thought it was just this, I didn't know it was going to be that mess. I couldn't sleep. The, the Donald Sutherland Invasion of the Body Snatchers. And by the way, I went and rewatched that a few years ago just to confirm it wasn't just my 10-year-old head. Yeah. That's a fucking terrifying movie, and it's designed to fuck with you. A, the, 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 the aliens win at the end. They fucking win. Earth is fucking destroyed. That final shot of Donald Sutherland, you're like, what the fuck? <laughs> but also, I, I read this. This was really weird. Um, Philip Kaufman, the director, the, the sound design, when you watch the beginning of the movie, there's the, the there's your standard city sounds, mm-hmm. birds, traffic, machines, you know, the sound of life. And as the movie goes on, each of those sounds drops out of the soundtrack. Oh. So by the end, there's no animal sounds, there's no cars, there's no city, because all of that is shut down, but they do it very subtly. And that's why you're so the last half hour of the movie, you're so unnerved because there's no there's nothing. There's no point of reference to grab onto to feel like it's life anymore. That's fucking and it's, and again, imagine that working on a 10 year old's brain like it's just yeah. so fucking scary. Oh, God, that movie fucked me up. That's fucking smart. Yeah. Isn't that brilliant? Yeah, that's brilliant. Oh, I love shit like that. It's just, I mean, you've seen that movie, right? The, yeah, yeah. The- uh, and I, Donald Sutherland's in my, is, is, uh, oh, I fucking love Donald Sutherland. Do you know this about God. him? I'm sure you do. You know everything. But uh, the thing, and I, I would love to be, uh, famous enough that I had this sort of clout, but apparently Donald Sutherland, uh, when he signs up for a film, part of his deal is, do you know this? No. His, his contract, his deal, he'll do the film if you shoot the middle first. As long as they shoot the middle first, he'll do the film because he's like, if I'm still finding the character, if we film the middle, by the time we film the beginning, I'll have the character and I'll be good. So that as an audience, by the time you get to the middle, you won't notice if I'm a bit shit in the middle because I've sold it at the beginning. I've never, that's brilliant. Brilliant. But also the middle of the movie is usually when the characters are having all their doubts and all their second thoughts. So if he is flailing a little bit, yeah. that actually also fits. Holy shit, that's genius! It's good, isn't it? Oh my god! And, I didn't honestly, know that. whenever, whenever I've the, the few times I've had acting jobs, if, if there ever is discussions about the schedule and like what would work for you, I'm always like, oh, we could shoot the middle. We could do the middle stuff, could we? Let's do the middle. If I ever get the clout, I am so doing yeah, that. God. Holy crap! God, do the middle. That's amazing. Smart, isn't it? I always get nervous. Every job I've had where it's like, we're filming the first scene first. I'm always like, oh, shit. What if I don't? Yeah, yeah that's what's weird. If you watch um, The Godfather, James Caan, early on, like for the first couple of days of filming, he didn't have the Sonny character down 100%, mm-hmm. hadn't quite figured it out. And then he apparently went and saw Don Rickles and then was like, I'm going to play him like that. And then for the rest of the movie, he's Don Rickles. Wow. And he does the bada bing, you got to do it. And, he, and you can see the change. If, if you know that going in, yeah. the, the early scenes, you're like, that's not quite sunny. And you're like, there he is. So it's really wow. cool to see that. Yeah. 
But God, that's a brilliant. You shoot the middle first. Hello, my neighbor Maureen. What's this I hear about you getting a promotion at the office? Didn't you just get promoted last month? It's all thanks to Canva. I've been nailing every meeting with AI-powered Canva presentations. Isn't that Canva's AI slide generator where you just describe your presentation in a few words and Canva presentations will generate captivating slides in seconds? That's right. And to top it off, I use Magic Write, Canva's AI text generator, to perfect my points. Sounds brilliant, Maureen. No more copying and pasting from other programs. No more app switching. Can Canva Docs with Magic Write generate any text you want for work? Yes. Sales proposals, marketing plans, yeah. Meeting agendas, ratings of all 12 Muppet movies using the extensive point system that I developed at age 12. Anyone can save time with Canva's AI-powered tools. Generate your draft fast with Canva Docs at canva.com, designed for work. Oh, thanks, my neighbor, Maureen. Yeah, thank you. Witness the dawning of a new era in automotive luxury with a reveal unlike any other as Infinity presents a new chapter in luxury the premiere of the all-new 2025 Infiniti QX80. Join us March 20th live from the Edge at Hudson Yards in New York City, featuring an unforgettable performance by Grammy and Academy Award-winning singer, songwriter, and composer, John Batiste. The all-new Infiniti QX80 is unlike any luxury SUV you've ever seen. Smart enough to anticipate your needs, even before you do. Every line, curve, and detail was thoughtfully crafted so everything for every passenger feels just right. Don't miss it. Mark your calendars and be the first to see it March 20th at 7 p.m. Eastern, only on iHeartRadio's YouTube channel. Save the date at new-qx80.com. 2025 QX80 coming this summer. What film is not critically acclaimed? People do not like it generally, but you love it and you love it so much you don't even care what anyone says. You just think everyone's an idiot. This film's amazing. I mean, it doesn't get the credit for, for the genius stuff that it does. Um, it, although it did get some good reviews, but I, I think it should be like a criterion disc. Right. Is John McNaughton's Wild Things with uh, Matt Dillon and um, Nev Campbell and Bill Murray. It is one of the... It is a really smart noir hiding inside of a trashy, mm -hmm. like softcore Cinemax film. But then you realize it acting like a softcore Cinemax film is part of Nev Campbell's plot to lure in these dumb shits played by Kevin Bacon and Matt Dillon. Like that's part of her genius. And then the fact that they then spend the end credits going backwards and showing you how the whole thing gets set up. You know, I remember um, there's a Roger Ebert review of um, The Good, The Bad, and The Ugly, where he's like, when it first came out, I only gave it three stars because in my mind, I'm like, a movie this entertaining can't also be a great film. Like, mm -hmm. a great film has got to feel like you've done some work. And it took me till I was older to go, no, ac actually making a really entertaining movie is also really fucking hard. <laughs> like, that also means it's great. And I, that's what I think about Wild Things is, just because it is it is insanely entertaining and funny doesn't mean it's also not a great film with some kind of brilliant things to say about masculinity and class warfare and stuff like that. But it just happens to be really, really fun to watch. But it's also genius. That's a fucking great shout. And you know this. You must know this. They wrote that backwards. You know that? That's how they... Really? Wrote Wild Things. Yeah, they sort of worked backwards. That's why it's such a great 
bit of plotting is they sort of did it. God, because it, it felt like the end credit scene was a thing that McNaughton came up with later. Like, oh, wait a minute, we could do this. So in the end credit, you're watching his writing process. Mm-hmm. You're watching how he sets it up. And Nev Campbell is basically the screenwriter of yeah. the film, yeah. of the plot. and But she's using everybody because she's being whatever she needs to be in front of the it's and it's such a brilliant performance that she does yeah. uh, but but because again it's so trashy and funny and entertaining that i think people are like well this this can't be a great performance like no it is it just is also really entertaining like what the what the fuck so yeah that's one of those movies that i really think is needs a second look that's a very good shout what, 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 what's, what's one of yours that you champion? I think Batman Returns is, is the best Batman film. Oh, I got to hear this. Wait, why? Why? <laughs> <laughs> because Batman Returns is the, is the first feminist superhero film that comes because Catwoman appears and her whole thing is she literally says to a woman that needs saving, she says, always standing around waiting for a Batman to save you. Cut. And and I love that there's this weird sort of fetish, weird sexual stuff going on. And then there's all this amazing scene where I'm just like, that's such a good idea where they go to the masked ball and the only two people not in masks are Batman and Catwoman. And it's such a fucking great idea that they, wow. they've already got masks. They're covered and, in masks. And also the idea that, and then, then when they both realise who each other are and they're like what yeah. are we supposed to do now that was a cool oh and now i'm gonna go watch that scene that movie again it's a great film christopher walken's mad in it and it's it's cool and it's sort of it's so odd and like for a mainstream big you know hollywood blockbuster film it's so weird and very sexual and very like- sexual and the penguin is genuinely terrifying i think i think yes. dan devito is I ha- give, will give you nightmares and is not playing yeah. for laughs and he really could do. And uh, the, their love story, I really love their Batman and Catwoman's love story because it's so fucking weird and they can't be together because they're both fucked. It's really interesting. i got to check that out again. I saw somebody was passing a meme around about the movie Batman and Robin and it was a picture of Mr. Freeze and Poison Ivy and Batman. And it was yeah. like... He's trying to stop global warming. She's trying to reforest the planet, but we're supposed to root for the trust fund billionaire who beats up poor people. Like, it's just like, wait a minute. That was such a cry. I never thought of that take on it. Right. Yeah. Holy shit. Batman returns. I got to go. I got to check that movie out again. Now I, I, you're right. There's all these weird little elements to it. Oh man. Yeah. It's, it's really interesting. And, and Michael Keaton's the best Batman, you know. And I, I won't hear another and, word. And I, and I love the fact that they're going to bring him back, yeah. but as this older, scarred, like mentor Batman. There were rumors going around mm-hmm. when um, um, when Heath Ledger tragically passed away because what an amazing performance as the Joker. Mm-hmm. And and people were saying, well, how do we do the third Batman movie? And one of the ideas was, and I don't know why they didn't do this anyway, set the third Batman movie, The Dark Knight Rises. Set it forty years in the future. Batman has been yeah. has been cleaning up Gotham City for forty years. All of his rogues gallery are, are, are in Blackgate Prison, including a now older Joker. Get like Kurt Russell to play the Batman. Now he's all scarred up and fu- yeah. he's like, I'm done. And then Bane comes along, lets out all the fucking villains, and then that's what. And then just an, get un, some older actor to play the Joker, like, and see how he's changed while he's in, like that would have been amazing. That's the one I want to see. There you go. There you go. Yeah. Ugh. 
Okay. Well, there's there's my one is Batman Returns. People don't talk about it enough. <laughs> I'm going to check that out. Wow, thanks. People should, I don't know why people are talking about anything else. <laughs> what's, the, what's the film that you used to love, you had great love for it, but then you've watched it recently and you felt, oh no, I don't love this no more. I, I still love Ghostbusters, mm-hmm. but when unfortunately, if you watch it through 2020 goggles, the Bill Murray character, and I don't want to be all PC and mm-hmm. me too, but God, the Bill Murray character is so creepy in that movie not just the opening scene with the sophomore that girl that he's but like the first time he goes to Sigourney Weaver's apartment he's all but like lunging at her like this weird it's really unnerving like Mm -hmm. watching that stuff and then also the fact that the villain is a is the EPA guy who yeah he's a douchebag but he's like you guys are there's like this weird you kind of built your own nuclear. I don't think you can have this in the middle. Like people could die. Like it, it has such a weird viewpoint, but, and, and still there's still shit about it. That's funny. Look, I still love all the old James Bond movies, but you watch yeah. like you only live twice. You're going, Oh, yikes. <laughs> yeah. You know, or um, there's a, a movie, a teen comedy that my wife made called dream, a little dream. That was as a light fun comedy for kids that features, her mom basically roofies her so that she'll like kind of, I guess, sleep with the boyfriend that she's with. It's very, very creepy. Oh, like what they like, like that's um, there, there's a Blake Edwards movie called SOB where yeah. very famously um, Julie Andrews shows her gets naked and shows her tits. But what they leave out is that they basically slip her a roofie so that she's loopy enough to do that on camera. And it's done as like comedic. Oh, so there's like, there was like, Kind of date rapey stuff that was almost done as comedy a lot back then. Yeah, there's a lot of that. Yeah, just like like all the time. So again, I I don't I don't want to be the um, oh you know I can't wait. like there's still things about Ghostbusters that's goddamn yeah. brilliant, but some of the Bill Murray stuff is just really creeps me out, and I, I just uh, I don't know. I think that is totally legit. And, it's it's like I don't know if you, there was that famous um, article where Molly Ringwald's daughters went and watched yeah, the Breakfast Club with her, yeah. and she was like, "Oh, there's some weird shit in here." Yeah, and creepy. I think you, you what you're saying is right. As in, it doesn't mean we have to kill Ghostbusters. No, but you, but it also you can sort of enjoy bits of it and also be horrified. <laughs> Yeah, and you can, by the way, you can also enjoy how badly things have aged and go, oh, hey, look look how far we've come. Like, that can be part of the enjoyment. It's like, oh, my God, people thought this was funny. You know, yeah, like, yeah. that can be part of the fun. But, yeah, you – and also the the the, um, the dumb anti-PC people will always fall back. This, you, this is when you know the argument's going on. They always fall back and like, well, you couldn't make Blazing Saddles today. You know, that movie. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, hang on. Blazing Saddles, which is about a a really intelligent um, African-American sheriff who comes in, owns a whole town full of dipshit racists, yeah. makes them actually get woke and evolve. Mm. You could totally make that movie today. All your you're, you're only focusing on the first five minutes when they're yelling the N word yeah. because that's all you want to do. But if you look at the entire arc of the movie, it's actually about being woke and being PC and how that saves the goddamn day. Yeah. So like, I just, Oh, and it's amazing how people will like compartmentalize and focus always on the wrong shit. Yeah. It's very true. Um, yeah. Patton, uh, tell me this, what film 
means the most to you. Not necessarily the film itself is any good, but because the experience you had seeing the film that will always always make it special for you. You know what the the, the movie that really really means the most to me is um, Pee Wee's Big Adventure because that I remember I saw it. I I went to see another movie. And I remember this I was with a bunch of friends. <laughs> And the movie ended, and this is back in Virginia, and a, some, a person walked out and said, hey, we have a movie we'd like to preview for you guys, whoever wants to stay. And this is back in suburban Virginia. We're like, a movie preview? <laughs> so the whole crowd stayed, and it was Pee Wee's Big Adventure. And that movie was the first time, because I hadn't quite been exposed to Monty Python as much as I wanted to. I mean, I, I loved Steve Martin, and I loved SNL, but you know, Pee Wee Herman was a very, very niche cult figure. I hadn't seen him on Letterman. I barely knew. I vaguely kind of knew who he was. And this movie was so, it was the first time that I saw a comedic performer going, we're going to operate on my level. And I'm not doing this to go, fuck you. I'm like, I'm operating on this level. I'm inviting you to come along, but you've got to operate on this weird level. And the whole, this disparate suburban Virginia crowd just got on the frequency and it was that first time that she's like, Oh, you can make what you think is funny palatable to anybody. Mm. And the moment that it really, really clicked in the movie, people love the movie, but there's a great moment in the middle of the movie where the only curse word in Pee Wee's big adventure is when he says to Dottie, she goes, you know, you come to Chuck's bike shop and I'll get you a discount on a new bike. And he goes, I don't want some other crappy bike. And when he says crappy, the whole audience went, whoa, like th- like that was part of the joke is that, yeah. oh, things are getting serious now. So that they're actually in on the joke. And, and it just made me – and I, I had no idea about being a comedian. I did, I did know that I wanted to be a writer or do something creative. But that was one of the first indications of just do your own thing and commit to it and people will come along. So that movie has always been really, really special to me for that reason. How, do you, how old were you when that happened? Do you remember? Uh, the year, I think it came out in 84 or 85. So I was a teenager. I was, I was maybe 14 or 15 or, you know, just entering high school, trying to figure out how do I be popular? How do I be? And then that was one of those, without ever telling you, it was just like, do what you think is good. You've got to enjoy your life first. You, you know, like, cause if you, if you live other people's lives, you're going to be miserable. So that idea of just go do your own stuff, it makes me so happy. How you, uh, you don't have to talk about it a lot. I'm sure you've talked about it loads, but how, how old were you when you did your first gig? I was 19 years old, 19 years old. And, and on the same night, um, I started out at a club called Garvin's Comedy Club on L Street in Washington, DC, July 18th, 1988. Was 19 years old, who also went up his first time on that same show, Dave Chappelle. Oh my He was God. 14 years old. And he annihilated. <laughs> Were you like, I've started too late. I've started too late. I should have yeah, started well, but, but he had this energy of someone that, talk about old souls. He had the energy of someone who had been doing it for 30 years. Like, just walked up, didn't rush to the microphone, started talking, like, all right, like, and you're on my level. Here, here we are. Right. Oh my God. It was amazing. We, how were you? How were you on that first gig? I was the exact opposite. I got, <laughs> not only did I get, oh God, here's what, here's what doomed me. I got no laughs except for one joke that I did, which was, wasn't even a joke. It was like getting towards the idea of a joke. Mm-hmm. But one comedian in the audience and one of the other comedians, one of the older ones gave me the, ah, like, 
you, you ever do that when you, you acknowledge that your friend is like, I, I see what you're, you're, you're headed towards something. Yeah. But just that I got that acknowledgement from one of the pros was like, I'm in. Like, then I was like, I'm in for life. And also I was like sitting and waiting to go on stage and watching the other comedians sit and talk with each other and, you know, bash jokes around and knock around like that. Like, I'm like, I want that hang. These, these are the people I want to hang with. So I wanted the hang before I wanted the career. That's what got me into it. Do you know who made the noise? There's something in it. That, that Do you know who that comic was? Um, yeah, it was this guy who ended up being roommates with years later. Um, this guy named Mark Voice, um, a comedian out of Baltimore, who was a, what a, a great writer. One of um, one of my favorite lines of his is, um, you know, it, you know, it takes all kinds. No, it doesn't. We just have all kinds <laughs> and we got to make it work. Like there was just something so great, great about that line. So he just, yeah. So, so to see someone who mm. is that funny, give you the little, uh, okay, there's something. Keep going. I'm like, well, I got to show up. I got, I got to keep going. Does he know that? Have you told him that? Oh, that I, oh I've told him that. That, okay. that little, ah, made me go, okay, well, shoot, now <laughs> I'm doing so now I'm in. <laughs> Just a noise and you're here. How old were you when you went up the first time? I started, I started late. I, st- I didn't do it until I was like 28, I think. Oh my God. Were you like writing before that? What were you doing before that? Yeah, I was writing. I was writing and I was acting and I was like, I was doing plays and I used to, you know, I go to Edinburgh Festival every year, but I take nice. plays. And, but, right, right. but I was obsessed with comedy. I was just too scared. I just thought it's something, I just thought it was out of my reach, you know? And then one day, right. that first gig was like, oh boy, I'm doing this forever and ever and ever. This is really fun. And I knew it was like, you have to do this every day to get better because it's going to take yes. 10 years to get good at this. At oh least. yeah. I mean, that's why like there, there was, there was a lot of like people who do sketch, look down on stand up. people who do stand up, look down on improv. I'm like sketch improv stand up they're mm. all equally difficult <laughs> why are you trying to write they're all hard to do oh, and just because really? you can, can do and like there are some people who can do sketch who can't do stand up there's some people who do like i'm not good at improv i'm not that good i mean i'm good by myself but reacting off other people I, you know but it doesn't mean that what you do is just like there's just different yeah. skills yeah. you just don't you know and, and I, th- I think improv, when it's done well, is so brilliant. And just like I do stand-up, like, it's just, there's there's good and bad. I don't know why people try to compartmentalize and separate them. They're all valuable. So. Um, Patton, uh, what film do you most relate to? The one movie that I keep watching over and over again is um, the Albert Finney Murder on the Orient Express. Yeah. And um, because I really relate to... The way that Hercule Poirot is depicted in that movie, beyond just – it's not just so much the mystery, is that – and it's all subtext. But he's this guy who is very, very OCD, which I am, and he, and, he, and he sometimes can be very prickly with, like, other people and other relationships. And he's not quite connected with the world as maybe he would want to be. Mm-hmm. And at the end, he has to kind of realize – that yes, all the people on this train did this maybe terrible thing, but the terrible thing in context was part of the messiness of life. And he doesn't, he has to let the messiness of life go at the end because that's how life is. But he ends up, it's very much that final shot of him walking down the hall alone. It's that something that I've always struggled with, which is a lot of times I feel myself to be a little bit apart from the world. And, you know, luckily I've met 
people, both friends and, and, you know, my first wife, Michelle, and especially Meredith, who pull me deep. Unlike Hercule Poirot, who just keeps turning away from connections, I keep meeting people who then pull me into life. But I almost see that movie for me as a warning of like, don't end up walking alone down that train hallway while both the messiness of life Mm -hmm. and maybe even a little bit of the violence of life, but then also there's the beauty of life is happening. Don't end up walking away from it the way that Albert Finney does in that brilliant, brilliant movie. Um, Best answer I've ever had to that question. I mean, it's, I mean, you've seen that movie, haven't you? Mm -hmm. The the Albert Finney one. I mean, it's, Again, it, it, it's on its surface because it's, it's Sidney Lumet who who directed it. So the, the dude that made Dog Day Afternoon and Serpico then goes and does Murder on the Orient Express, where now the surface is this glittering, very posh, very between world wars kind of um, dead zone yeah. of opulence and grotesquerie. But life is trying to push through. And the, the, there's this guy that has to kind of decide, I've got to let life go here. It's amazing. It's, an, it's, it's, it's worth watching again to see all that stuff that's hidden in there. That's so fascinating, man. Do you think, if I may, I was asked on a thing. It was like, why do you do, why, why do, you do comedy? Like, why, why comedy? And they, they, they asked me, they said, is it because you think you're funny? Is it you always thought you're funny? And I was like, <laughs> no, that isn't why I do. I think it's because I always felt on the outside looking in. Yes separate yeah like and i'm and i felt it from like when i was at school i felt it like five years old at school just sort of looking around going the fuck is this but but i felt like everyone else was in it and i was just separate and observing and thinking everything was mad is that yeah i always yeah it felt like i had missed one beat in something and everyone else had clicked their cogs had clicked into a part of the sprocket that mine hadn't quite Mm. clicked into and I was trying to find a way to segue into it. And the only way to – because the gears were going to grind when I segued into it. And it was going to be loud and embarrassing. So I would try to cover that up with being funny and stuff. Like that's yeah. – I think a lot of com- – because a lot of us, it's about how – all the best comedy is about how you're not quite in sync with the world. And what's funny is because I'm not in sync, I'm noticing this thing that maybe yeah. the rest of you don't notice. You know, and and then as you get older, you're you're starting to notice things about yourself that you've been hiding from yourself, which is even funnier. You're like, oh, here's like this total thing I was bullshitting myself about, but here's what I actually do. The thing in the box, you had a thing in the box you hadn't acknowledged. The thing, goddamn, that's right. It's these. You're as you get older, you're you're, especially as comedian, you're picking up these objects in the box. Like the fuck, what it? You know, that's what you're doing. What? Why do I have this? What use is this? Holy yeah. shit, that's a great way to think of it. That's what working out the material is. Yeah. Holy shit. This is really good therapy. Um, God damn. For me. I don't know how yeah. you're ex- experiencing this. <laughs> this is really helpful. <laughs> what is, uh, oh, here we go. What's the mm. film that you found the sexiest? And you can't say Batman Returns because I've already said it. The one of the, I mean, look, there's, there's obviously there's all kinds of sexy moments in movies that are blatantly sexy, you know, um, Betsy Russell seducing Matthew Modine in private school, just total teen comedy and, um, Christy Hartberg dancing towards the payphone in, um, super vixens in the hmm. halter top. But there's a scene in an old Humphrey Bogart movie called The Big Sleep and it, Dorothy Malone, she just has one scene. She's the bookshop girl. And it's 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 a very sexist scene because it's all about 
She's like takes her glasses off and she when she has her glasses on, she's the most gorgeous woman you've ever fucking seen. Why is that? Like, why does she have to take her goddamn glasses off? But she takes her glasses off and kind of lets her hair out to kind of seduce mm-hmm. Humphrey Bogart. And she does this little thing where she's coming up behind him and she just kind of like that. It's this little gesture and it just to see that in a 1945 black and white film, mm-hmm. this very physical, very like just human heat um, and coming off of a person, but in black and white is so goddamn startling. It, 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 it's still that moment is like, oh, OK. Uh, <clears throat> yeah, all right. Yeah. Right, what the Dorothy. fuck? I just watching this goddamn Humphrey Bogart movie. And I got to. <laughs> I got to pause it for like maybe 10 minutes and <laughs> take a walk. I, I got to take a walk. And there's also, there's a similar scene in a, a movie called Phantom Lady around this. I think maybe that was 1941, but there's an actress named Ella Rains. And there's a scene where she has to seduce Elijah Cook Jr. Who's playing this jazz drummer. And he's basically drumming while he's watching her. And she's like kind of moving to the drum beat. And it's basically, it's just an, it's like a, he's jerking off while he's like, they snuck into this, Nineteen forty. The way it's shot, it looks like he's like jerking off while she and she's so goddamned hot. And because it's not that she's naked or something, it's that she is. I, you know what? I want to fuck you. Like it's that I'm deciding when 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 an intelligent woman is turned on and interested in you, that is so much more of a turn on than just a, a, a nude body lit with you know blue gels and stuff like that. There's more like, oh my God, I've actually engaged this person. I, me, holy fuck, how did I do that? So that to me, that's what always turns me on in in movies. That's a great answer. Well, uh, Patton, there's a subcategory to this question. Uh Uh-oh. Troubling boners, worrying why don'ts. And it's uh, a film you found arousing that you thought perhaps you shouldn't have. Oh boy. Or that you were like, I don't think that was meant to be sexy, but I found it sexy. Right, right, exactly. You're like, oh, I don't know if that was supposed to be. Yeah. I got to say, there's a there's a movie called The Honeymoon Killers by this, um, the only movie that was ever directed by this guy named Leonard Castle. Um, and it was Martin Scorsese's first directing job, and he got fired. No. Because he, he shot for two weeks, but he was being so artsy-fartsy and pretentious. And he says this, he goes, I was trying to do all these yeah. complicated master shots. I've been hired to do an exploitation movie, The Honeymoon Killers, right. um, with Tony Lobianco and um, Shirley Stoller. Shirley Stoller is supposed to play, and it's based on a real, these real-life murderers, the the um, Lonely Hearts Killers. Mm-hmm. And she plays this nerd, this overweight, kind of mean, you know, pissy nurse who's just like, man. And she falls in love with this guy, Tony Lo- and they they lure lonely women and they kill them for their money. And Shirley Stoller is, she's supposed to be playing kind of this repellent, kind of unpleasant woman, but there is something about the, her performance. And also she, she plays a similar character in a movie called Seven Beauties, where she plays a, a, a Nazi camp commandant, like a Irma Grice type, right. this, you know, she-wolf type. You're watching an actor so comfortable in their skin that I don't know what it is about those two movies, especially, are such a turn on for me. When when she is in, in Seven Beauties in her man's boxer shorts and wife beater tee, smoking a cigar with her hair just 
nodded back, no attempt at being hot. You're, and you're just like, I, why the fuck is this turning me on so much? I should not be goddamn turned on by this woman who is openly playing like this monster. Yeah. But I don't know what it is about, but Shirley Stoller, there's something about her, man. Fascinating. Mm. Isn't that you like, weird? You like, uh, you like a woman who is comfortable. Who's comfortable yeah. with herself. Who's comfortable, but also like clearly in Seven Beauties, like when he's trying, the, the guy is trying to seduce her and it's very clear that I'm probably just going to fuck this guy and then kill him. I'm just bored. And there's something really weirdly seductive about, oh my God, I can't believe I'm saying this. But yeah, it's just, oh God. You know, sex, if you're having sex and knowing that you're going to be killed at the end of it, that's exciting sex. Yeah. That's, like, okay, I'll take it. That's great yeah. sex. And oh, it will, you'll try and make it last. The point mm-hmm. is this. Next question. Patton. Oh, God. What is objectively <laughs> the greatest film of all time? Not your favorite. Objectively. Right. The pinnacle oh, of God. cinema. What is it? I'm going to, just because I just watched it again recently and I did a deep dive reading about it. Objectively, I would say uh, Casablanca because it wasn't made under, oh, we are going to make, it was just, let's shoot this in two weeks. It was another one of Michael, I think he shot like four movies that year. Everyone else was on contract. They had a pretty okay, it was a, it was a known stage play. It wasn't great. Can we do something? And they somehow, under all these horrible conditions, and half of the cast were refugees fleeing Hitler's Europe, and, and Hitler was still, had not lost yet, and they made it this blatantly anti, used what, what should have been just a, a throwaway melodrama and ended up, making this movie that said so much about democracy and humanity and sacrifice and love. And, and, but none of it was shot. None of it was made under the conditions of we are making something real. It was like, these were people showing up to work and out of all of their professionalism and creativity, they made a movie that does not have a bad scene. It Mm -hmm. like, and that to me, that is like the magic of movie making when you show up to work and then out of the work comes a masterpiece, you know, like, and look, I, Citizen Kane is a great movie, but they knew they were doing something amazing. And sometimes there is this feeling of like, you're welcome. We're giving you something amazing. here. (laughs) Casablanca is like, we hope you're entertained. There's some kissing and there's some shooting. And And there's so many jokes in it. So much. Oh my God. There's some, not just jokes, but, but dialogue that is now just part of our vernacular. That is just put like is used for shorthand for things. So that kind of, to me, that is objectively the the greatest movie ever made. Correct. (laughs) Thank you. Oh, I got it right. Yes. (laughs) Uh, What is the, what is the film that you could or have watched the most over and over again? I think with me, it's a tie between murder on the Orient Express, Albert Finney, or Midnight Run. Oh, nice. Midnight Run, another movie where just, yeah, it, it's a fun, you know, chase movie with gangsters and stuff. But then there's all these little moments that don't need to be in there that are there that like, like when he, oh, this is going to make me cry. I almost get, I always get teared up when um two moments, one when after he sees his ex-wife and then they borrow the car and Charles Grodin is in the passenger seat. And he tucks Charles Grodin's overcoat into the door the way he would probably tuck mm-hmm. his wife's 
because wife's like, we're, we're, I, it's a very big night tonight. I'm going out. So he's subconsciously thinking, oh, that's what I would have done if I was taken out for a special night. Yeah. And he tucks that in. And then also the moment at the end, I talk about things that make me cry movies. The whole movie, De Niro's like, you're just a paycheck. I could give a fuck what you did. I don't care. That, whatever. Fine. You're just, a, you're just money. I'm just taking you in. Then that thing at the airport where they bring him out and he says to Charles, he goes, get behind me. Just stand behind me like, I'm, I'm going to protect you now. And it's just a little gesture, but oh, it's so good. I just love it so much. That's nice. and, and then also the moment when he goes up to Jimmy Serrano, um, the gangster, and he's like, there's something I've wanted to say to you for nine years. And you're thinking it's going to be like, fuck you, motherfucker. He goes, what's that? He goes, you're under arrest. Just That's it. That's, that's all you're worth. I mean, it's just so <laughs> – I love it. Right. Yeah. So, I've, I, God, I've seen that movie so many times. I like that. What uh, we now? Listen, here's a thing. We don't like to be too mm. negative, so we'll do it fairly swiftly. But okay, what's what's the worst film you ever seen? And taking into account, all films are impossible to make. Yeah. Oh yeah. Yeah. It's it, that's a hard thing because yes, I know films are hard to make and blah blah blah. <laughs> I think one of the worst films I've ever seen, just in terms of um, you could just feel everyone just kind of giving up while they make it, if that makes sense, mm -hmm. is unfortunately um, Batman and Robin. And, you know, there are a lot of talented people in that movie, but there's a lot of moments. Mm -hmm. And this, the one that really stands out to me is when George Clooney, who I think is a terrific actor, yeah. and, and Bruce Wayne is dedicating the observatory in Gotham. And if you watch George Clooney's hands, he's standing at a railing, and he's like, and my father said that with this, Gotham can then look to the stars. And he's just like kind of drumming on the rail like ah fuck this movie like i did he's doing the equivalent of like when someone's hugging you and then they pat you on the back like we're not i'm not hooking up with you like this is not <laughs> like he's literally patting the movie on the back like i'm not just I'm really not like, like, like and, and and but it's almost to his credit that he like realized halfway through yeah. oh yeah this doesn't fucking this isn't working i'm just gonna that little moment to me just so took me out of the movie and it made me tired. Like you felt everyone's exhaustion yes. on that movie and everyone showed up. Like they yeah. tried, you know, Schwarzenegger tries every movie he does. He shows the fuck up. He came in weeks early, tried on every goddamn Mr. Freeze outfit, did makeup tests and Uma Thurman fucking showed up and it's all for naught. It's just for nothing. And, and that little, when he's tapping that little rail, you're like, Oh God, this movie. I, I don't know why that moment has haunted me. Cause you realize yeah. you will, we, every movie we show up to, we do, you want it to be good, yeah. but you're going to show up to some project, a TV show or a movie where you're like, okay, we just got to get this over with. Yeah. We just got to get this over with. What the fuck am I going to do? You know? Oh, you know that's in your future. Oh. <laughs> I've, 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 I've experienced that a few times. <laughs> I'm sure you have. I'm, I'm sure you've had a little, like, just want to, we're just tapping yeah. the rail now. Let's get this done. Although I've always found that the jobs that were like that were also often where you made the strongest friendships because you're surviving and you, you're just like oh my god yeah you, you you bond so well when you're when you're in a movie that's going really well and you feel like it's good it's not that you don't because like I was, I'm, I'm really good friends with Charlize but it wasn't like let's go get fucked up mm. every night because we're like no I want to show up tomorrow and do good really work good, yeah. but there's, there's other movies where you're like we may as well just go drinking I mean this is fucking <laughs> <laughs> enjoy ourselves on this there's apparently what's the movie Beckett with um, Richard Harris and Peter O'Toole where I think there's a scene where they got to put the 
he puts the ring on him and they had to like speed the film up because they were both trembling so much because all they would do is just go drinking. And, and like Beckett wasn't even a bad move, but they're just like, fuck this. So I'm sure there's a lot of movies where clearly people uh, apparently if you watch Empire Strikes Back, which is a great movie, but yeah. I'm sure as an actor, those movies could not have been that much fun to be in because yeah. more about the special effects. When Harrison Ford and Carrie Fisher first get to Cloud City, they're apparently way too smiley and giggly because they had stayed up all night the night before. They went over to Eric Idle's and were drinking and doing coke. And then Mick Jagger showed up and they went, well, our call time is seven. Let's just keep going. And they just so they they just kind of showed up high and they just did the scenes. <laughs> That's great. Yeah, it's great. Like, ah, oh, fuck it. Way as well. Yeah. This movie's not about us. It's about the goddamn spaceship. And, the, you know, <laughs> no, it's going to die. It's how high we are. <laughs> Who gives a shit? So, yeah, like that kind of feeling. Yeah. You're right. Yeah, it's it's the bad experiences where you end up going, oh, my God, we became the best of friends because it was. Yeah, we'll be friends for life. Yeah. Oh and also because you have that sort of secret because you're you're not really allowed to talk about it, right? You, you sort of have to. No. So you have oh, this. and isn't it great later on when you guys are doing the press tour and you have to? <laughs> well, I mean, you know, you, when you work on a movie like this, it's it's just a every day is like, and you're all kind of looking at each other like, the fuck are we doing? <laughs> God, yeah, it's the best. Yeah, you gotta go do the work. But like, listen, luckiest pe- luckiest people in the world. Oh my God, I'm never. Are you can I, I remember I was doing. Um, I've done a lot of movies with Owen Wilson, and he would always come on set and go like. He, he would do this fake. He's like, another day, another dollar. You know, <laughs> who's the shop steward here? God damn. Like he would act like he's having to go work like a job at a tire store. <laughs> it would, just, it would crack me up so much. That's great. That's yeah. what, yeah. I mean, I kind of oh. realized I forgot to ask you and people will be furious. Oh. What's the film that, that made you laugh the most? I, I got to say, I, I mean, I know I should pick some classic comedy but and and i was one of the early writers on it but the first fucking borat movie there are sequences in that where i was like am i gonna throw up like i'm laughing so much (laughs) it's just so yeah non-stop and relentless and um that writer anthony hines is just we were in the room where he came up with the line um my wife's vagine looks like the sleeve of a wizard. And it was like, get the fuck up and run a victory lap. You've earned it. Like it was so goddamn amazing. So yeah, that, and again, that movie, I did not expect it to be, to come out as good as that Mm -hmm. did, you know, but, and if you're talking about like just a classic movie that makes me laugh my ass off WC Fields. It's a gift. Are there are moments in that where it's basically it's like it's like a rough version of The Simpsons, basically, really? where they're just this asshole family. They're so fucking stupid and just unapologetic slobs. And he just has so much fun. It, it, it's just I mean, again. I know you're supposed to. People go, yeah, we 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 respect the old comedian, but that is by today's standards, that is a genuinely like, oh fuck, I'm laughing my ass off. This is really funny. Love that, Pan. You have been incredible, a dream, oh. and I'm grateful. However, thank you. When oh, you God. went for your 34 course tasting meal uh, at the so laundry, dirty laundry. What was it? The French, fr- French the French laundry, French laundry. dirty laundry. <laughs> You went to get. Remember you went. To, <laughs> remember you went. You had you had dinner at the, the at dirty the laundry. You went to the went to the laundry hamper. Do you remember the the famous restaurant, the dirty laundry? And you went there for thirty four. You were with Brad Bird, 
Christopher Nolan, Paul Thomas Hansen. Yeah. You're having a lovely time. And um, and Paul was like, we're going to play Baccarat later, all back to mine. Well, great. And you were like, yeah, yeah, yeah. And everyone was like, they got to the last quiz. They were like, everyone was like, you know what? I'm stuffed. I don't need this mocha crystal egg. But you were like, I got this. <laughs> and you ate the egg. The crystal. I had to show off. I had to show had, off. Listen, you were trying to impress. I get it. Yeah. The crystal broke off, sliced up your your throat you started choking and bleeding weirdly nolan just stared at you sort of making calculations of some kind who's the other one <laughs> paul thomas anderson and brad bird uh, brad bird uh start, took his phone out under the table and he started making notes like just observing this and uh, paul thomas anderson just did a beautiful drawing of it and uh and you <laughs> but you were looking at them all like I appreciate you're all, you know, seeing art in this, but I am dying. But you couldn't say this because of the, because of the thing. Anyway, you choked, you, you, you fell on the ground and you, you, you bled to death. But because you're also a comedian, they thought, oh, maybe that was a bit. He was doing a bit. Maybe he was doing a bit. <laughs> all back to mine. We'll go play Baccarat. So they left you there thinking he's committing to this bit. He's not getting up. Anyway, I, I haven't over in Patton in a while, and you know, you and I always talk. I'm like, I haven't heard oh, from, yeah. <laughs> from him in a while. So I go to the restaurant, the rest, and it's been shut down because of the name Dirty Laundry. It turned out it wasn't very popular. Years have passed. I've got into this now abandoned building, and I find this table, tablecloth over it. I pull up the tablecloth. You're there, a rotted corpse. You've been eaten by rats. Stuff's growing out of you. It's an uh, absolute nightmare. I brought a coffin that was your size, but I wasn't expecting oh. all these gross and shit that's on top of you. So I had to chop you up with an old axe I found. I put you in the coffin. I have to stuff yeah. you in the coffin, right? But there's, there was more of you than I was expecting. The coffin is absolutely rammed. There is only enough room in this coffin that I can slip one DVD in the side with you. You can take across to the other side. Now, on the other side, it's movie night every night. One night, it's going to be your movie night. What film are you taking to show everyone in heaven when it's your movie night, Pat and Oswald? Oh, if it's movie night in heaven, mm-hmm. and I'm going to get to show people a movie. Yeah, and you, you present it and everything. You know what movie I would take with me? I would take, God damn it, I would take Smokey and the Bandit. What? Movie night in heaven? I would take Smokey and the Bandit because that that's that's the summer... Star Wars came out, Saturday Night Fever, all these like, and, but then goddamn Smoking the Bandit, it, it was like this reminder of like cinema is also can be the f- most fun, goofy, kind of loose. Um, there's, there's scenes that, here's what's weird. Everyone thinks that Smoking the Bandit is some dumb goddamn redneck moonshiner chase thing, but there's sequences with Bert and Sally Field that were clearly improvised. They just go, let's just let the camera roll and let these two talk. And in the, so in the middle of this very fun chase movie with, with Jackie Gleason being goddamn hilarious and, um, Jerry, um, sang the, sang the theme song. I'm blanking on his name. Uh, come to me in a second. Okay. But they're like doing this Altman shit in the middle of, it's such a weird, like microcosm of this is 1970s America mm-hmm. and we just captured it on Jerry Reed is, is the snowman. We just captured it on film just for a second when there was, there was a time when, Things were just kind of casual and fun and Jimmy Carter's president and America's actually kind of relaxing with itself. And 
just kind of going, all right, you know, maybe we're not number one, but we can, you know, we can still be nice to people. I don't know. There was just something kind of fun about it. I, I We can be a cool number two. Yeah. We'll be a cool number two. Exactly. If we could be a cool number two. So bringing that attitude up to heaven going, yeah, there were some nice moments in America. That's a wonderful answer. Patton, yeah. you have been a joy and a delight. Before we say goodbye, is there anything you would like to tell people to watch other than uh, I Love Everything, which I think is your newest thing? Do you have <laughs> is there anything? Well, I mean, I mean, if, if you're talking about my own stuff, mm-hmm. um, AP Bio is on Peacock. But again, and I know you're sick of hearing this from me, goddamn Ted Lasso on Apple TV. I literally think if people would fucking watch this show, it would make the world better. You would actually treat people better if you watch this show. And you'd also, by the way, you'd laugh your ass off. You would laugh your ass off, especially Brett, who is amazing in it. God. I'm telling you, every... Every celebrity I know, if the, when they watch the scene of you going down the red carpet, everyone's <laughs> all going to see go, fucking yes, god damn it, I want to do that so badly. That was, you got to live the fucking dream. Oh, How much do I owe you for this? You owe, you, you, don't, you owe me eight more seasons of Ted Lasso. That's what you owe me. Okay. God damn it. Patton Oswald, what an absolute, what a fucking dream you are. Thank you oh. very much for doing this. Uh, I really appreciate your time and it's been a lot of it. I want to, I want this goddamn COVID to end so I can come over to London and we can either watch movies or you come visit us yeah. and you and I can just go on a crazy movie binge or something. I'll take you to, I'll take you to Tarantino's screening room. I don't, I don't mind oh. dropping a name. I'll take you to a screening room and watch a fucking movie. What? Yeah. Where do you hear that guy's insights on movies? You're just like, what the fuck? <laughs> oh my God. I, I, he's one of those guys when you watch a movie with, afterwards you're like, I don't think I've ever really watched a movie. If that's how you look <laughs> at movies, holy shit. That's great. Yeah. All right. Well, we've got, I've got that on tape. So um, good. We'll hold you to it. Let's go and do a gig together. I'll take you to. Yes. I'll take you to an absolute shit out in London. We'll have a great time. You will oh, love it. God. I want. I want to do. A, I want to do a fucking one nighter out in the Cotswolds, <laughs> way out in the country or something. I want to do a. Uh, I want to do a. Uh, um, uh, oh God! Now I'm blanking on it too. What's the classic? One of the greatest mo- uh, British movies ever made with Richard E. Grant and um, with Nail and I. With Nail and I. I want to do a with Nail and I. One of the right. greatest movies ever made. We'll do a with Nail and I. Okay. Yeah. Uh, All right. Patton, I'm going to stop the recording. I thank you. So much. Good night. Brett, thank you. So that was episode 121. Head over to patreon.com forward slash Brett Goldstein for the extra 25 minutes of chat, secrets and videos with Patton. Go to Apple Podcasts. Give us a five-star rating, would you? And write about the film that means the most to you and why. I don't need reviews. I just want to hear about your lives. Tell me about the film that means the most to you be lovely to read it helps numbers etc and my neighbor maureen gets to keep drinking craft beer which you know she loves thank you so much to Patton for giving me a full two hours of his time thanks to natty gan for making it happen thanks to scroobius pip and the distraction pieces network thanks to buddy peace for producing it thanks to acast for hosting it thanks to adam richardson for the graphics lisa Lydon for the photography come and join me next week where my brilliant guest will be akima bob so that is it for now Have a lovely week and please, now more than ever, be excellent to each other.
Sometimes I dream of becoming an actor. Have you ever dreamt of becoming an actor? Maureen, what is it you think I'd do for a living? Never mind. Sounds like you need the New York Film Academy. NIFA offers workshops, BFA and MFA degrees and summer camps in filmmaking, acting, journalism and more online and on campuses across the globe. To make films alongside industry professionals, explore more at nyfa.edu. Thanks, Brett. Thank you, Maureen. Infinity presents a new chapter in luxury. The premiere of the all-new 2025 Infinity QX80. Live March 20th from The Edge at Hudson Yards in New York City. Featuring a performance by John Batiste. The all-new 2025 Infiniti QX80 is an SUV designed to help every passenger feel just right. Be the first to see it March 20th at 7 p.m. Eastern, only on iHeartRadio's YouTube channel. Save the date at new-qx80.com. Don't miss it. 2025 QX80 coming this summer.